Hey there, Listen to Heart here. Welcome to The Coaching Studio, the podcast that introduces you to real coaches and those making a real positive impact in professional coaching. Let's go. Hi, Lisa DeHart here, and welcome to the Coaching Studio. Today, I have the honor of introducing my guest, Janet Harvey, who is an MCC coach with the ICF. I'm going to read her bio real quick. Janet, thank you so much for being here today. I'm really excited to have a conversation with you. Well, always a pleasure, especially to be with you, and happy to contribute. So Janet Harvey is the best-selling author of the book, Invite Change, Lessons from 2020, The Year of No Return. She is the CEO of Invite Change, a coaching organization that shapes a world where people love their life's work. Janet has trained and coached leaders at Fortune 500 companies across six continents for more than 25 years. As an early adopter for creating coach-centered workspaces, Janet has worked with global organizations and teams of leaders to establish a generative, resilient, and boy, let me say that again. As an early adopter for creating coach-centered workplaces, Janet has worked with global organizations and teams of leaders to establish a generative, resilient, and high-performance culture through a coaching approach. Janet has, experience, has experienced that the secret to having your biggest breakthroughs is reconnecting with your authentic self. When that happens, you're able to make big changes, even on a global level. Janet uses her executive and entrepreneurial experience to cultivate leaders in sustainable excellence through generative wholeness, a signature generative coaching and learning process for people, processes, and systems. Janet is also a board director for the ICF Thought Leadership Institute. She is an ICF global past president, a certified mentor coach, and accredited coaching supervisor. When people think of Janet, they see her as a bold, curious, provocative, and compassionate leader. And I'd like to read a couple excerpts from two reviews of your book that have come out. And the first one, I just loved the language of it. This book is hard hitting, timely and relevant, a wake up call and guidance for anyone wanting to make a meaningful contribution for positive change. And the other review was this inspired work by Janet Harvey is a masterful weaving of business acumen, human development, and professional coaching expertise with soulful, soulful influences that speak to our multiple intelligences. So <laughs> welcome to the show with your many, many multiple internal intelligences. Mm. So thank you so much for being here. So let me ask you this. Um, when you were starting out, you didn't start off as a coach. What brought you into coaching? I, I often say to people, Lisa, that I started a little bass backwards. <laughs> meaning that uh, I started working with teams before I did individual one-on-one -on -one work. And that was because uh, as an officer at Charles Schwab and Company, a financial services company located in San Francisco, but working all over the world, my, one of my last assignments there was head of strategy. 
which meant I got to do all the big change initiatives. And uh, our chairman, Chuck Schwab, walked into the boardroom one day and sat down and looked at us all and said, fasten your seatbelts. We're going to do something really different. I know all these years we've said nobody in our branch offices needed to sell. It's time for us to learn how to sell financial planning. And seriously, everybody was dead silence. (laughs) This was such a countercultural thing. Several months into the initiative, people would say, does Chuck know you're doing this? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we looked in our tool bag and said, what do we know about this level of behavior change? And we really didn't have anything in our tool bag that we thought was sufficient. And coaching was emerging. So this is 1990, late 90, early 91, that kind of a time frame. So I tapped into my OD networks in the Bay Area and brought some folks in and we did a bunch of whiteboarding and I started to hear, you know, there's this different kind of dialogue process that's being called coaching. We're not exactly sure if it works. We sort of think it might work. Are you game for trying it? And that's what we did. We took a a coaching approach to all of the ideation work. Mm -hmm. Um, We selected 100 people from our 6,000 person network who were Uh, who had to agree to keep running their branches the way they were and run a pilot. And in exchange, they could see it through from beginning to end, which meant they were in the original design all the way through to the final presentation of the right answer that we wanted to give the board to fund. And I watched something amazing happen because we said, leave all the power stuff at the door. Um, brainstorming idea, of course, all good ideas um, count. You know, nobody gets to discount any particular idea. But we added things like, um, we believe you already know um, more than one right answer about how to redesign the customer experience. Everyone has a perspective of that. Nobody has the whole perspective unless you're able to listen to each other. We did some micro skill building around listening that looked very much like our core competencies. Mm-hmm. So precursors of that work emerging. And I'd never seen anything like it. I had very, dare I say, arrogance, you know, kind of inflated uh, senior vice presidents sitting side by side with fairly much, maybe two decades their junior front office receptionists. Or maybe um, women, their senior, who were receiving insecurities and, and money. And they're having a cogent, adult, effective conversation about completely rethinking what happens the minute somebody walks in the door, how, from facilities to policies to um, forms we would use to the flow and the workflow in the office, the flow for the customer and the workflow in the back office. It was amazing. We had 18 months to do this whole initiative from, you know, beginning to signed off, designed and implemented. We finished in 15 months. We were under budget. And the very best thing was retention. 96% of the workforce was retained. And 40% of those people moved to another city to be part of a regional call center. It's stunning. It's stunning. That original 100 became coaches. They coached everybody else through the change process. Now, not coaches like you and I think about it, Alyssa, but coach capability and coaching mindset. And they were not willing to take no for an answer. This is going to be hard. This isn't what I signed up for. They told stories. They shared their point of view. They asked questions about 
what the beliefs were that people, I mean, I saw this coming out of their mouths long before I knew anything about the core competencies. And I look back on it now and realize, you know what, these are good human life skills. Yes. I think that's part of why coaching has exploded in the world, because it is how we want to be with each other. And it was respectful. It was inclusive. It was challenging. It was, um, everyone was a champion for each other. All answers were right answers. And I, I, I caught the bug. (laughs) I walked into my boss's office and I said, I know we're not quite done with implementation, but I'm leaving. (laughs) I'll stay for another year as a contractor back to the organization, but this is really what I want to do. And I'm going to go out in the world and make this happen. Yeah. Like it really lit you up from the inside. (laughs) Totally. So given your your perspective now, many years later, looking back on that situation and that change that happened, what elements do you see in coaching that really allowed for that sort of change to happen so radically? Yeah. So I'm going to give you three things. One is mindset. The second is about listening. And the third is about what we pay attention to when we're in a conversation with someone. And all three of these are at the, in in my opinion anyway, of really artful work as a coach is those three things are done in a very artful way. Agendaless from the coach's point of view, other than the intention and the responsibility to create an environment for a client to hear themselves think, to be able to claim what's valuable to them and to have the confidence to to do something that's outside their comfort zone. Everything in coaching is about learning growth and change. And frankly, I think everything in life is about learning growth and change. Yeah. So um, the mindset piece that was so different about how we approach this project is that we, we basically said tabla rasa, blank whiteboard, empty canvas. How would you, from your experience, team members, How would you imagine altering the conversation you have when a customer walks in the door or when you answer the phone or when you're writing an email? In those days, we called it toss. (laughs) When you're um, putting together um, a marketing piece, every way in which we touch the customer was fair game for exploration. And they were confirmed in that. So even though somebody maybe might have been a little scared to say something, it was confirmed. Ah, I see how that might work. And what do the rest of what would the rest of you build on that with? So facilitation techniques, but the difference was we weren't in charge of the agenda. We were actually creating a space for them to own what they were um, coming up with and to keep building on each other, which is where the listening piece comes in. It wasn't about listening to mirror and affirm them. It was about being able to reflect in direct communication, the meaning we were hearing. Ah, given what you just said, and I might use some of that language, what would that mean to this step in the process? Mm -hmm. So there was a a very much of a partnered, give and take, let the imagination originate and create something brand new. And everybody's learning in the room as each conversation is happening. So to me, that's the piece of what you're paying attention to. We're not paying attention to learn and be informed or educated. We're paying attention to create. 
We're inventing something. We're, we're being ingenious. Um, we're being radical, blasphemous. Everything was fair game. And it required that you be more committed to finding the answer that we all synergistically produced than you were in your position. And that's the mindset. Yeah. So, well, and it's so interesting too, because as I'm here listening to you, one of the things that's really that I'm thinking of is so many coaches struggle with exactly this piece of the letting go of the agenda and the, the, how to actually do that process of actively listening where you are listening to those undercurrents. What do you see as allowing, I'm trying to think of maybe the best way to ask this question. What allows a coach to let go maybe in order to be with a client that way, which clearly anybody can learn how to do because you guys are doing this Charles Schwab, but, but this is a really important skill set for coaches. It is. It is. You know, I think you're asking a very profound question. So we'll, we'll do a little bit of conversation here to set it up and would really encourage your listeners to, to think on this. This is a good question for continuous reflection, what we would call an inquiry question. And I think the roots of it are in identity. So much of our professional lives is about achievement and producing results, which requires that we have a certain level of knowledge, that we've um, developed a certain capability, some skill to do something with that knowledge, and that we have the follow through to implement something that people say, good job. Um, yeah, that's what I was going for. Yeah, that meant the goal. Yeah, we've, we've met our measures. And so we continue to want to repeat that. And we're looking for the thing that we know we could do on a continuous basis, which means we'll have security and all will be right with the world. And most people get to a certain staging in their career on that formula and realize, I am so not satisfied. <laughs> I am not happy with what I'm doing. I'm not sure where exactly how I got here, but I'm not sure I want to stay here forever. <laughs> And those are often the people that are the first to raise their hand to hire a coach to say, who am I? What the heck do I really want to be doing? But what we forget is they come out of a history and they went into a system with that history looking for a place where they could produce results that would be um, confirmed and therefore their identity would be confirmed because that's how we're socialized. And it doesn't matter what culture we're talking about. So, I think ultimately what happens is that coaches are looking to replicate that. I want to perform well. I want to contribute. I want to serve whatever adjective they might use. The, the problem is it doesn't come from them. So the mindset shift is that value in a coaching interaction comes from the client discovering something that they've forgotten or maybe never considered from that facet or that angle before the partnered conversation allowed it to bubble up to the surface. That's our value. And our contribution is that we stay with that client long enough for them to say, huh, here's how I'm going to integrate that into my context, into my identity, into my experience. And I'm going to be confident to go experiment with it until I see you next week. Both of those are out of our control outside of a session. 
Mm-hmm. So really the only thing that we can do that pro- is our performance is to create an environment for that client to notice and claim and ultimately make a choice to do something different that they perceive will move them forward. We can't do it for them. We can only give them the opportunity mm-hmm. to discover that. And I think that's so counter everything that's been reinforced over the life of becoming a professional that it takes a while to believe that it's real. This is why we always talk about trust the process <laughs> when one's learning to become a coach, right? It's, uh, yeah. it's intimidating. It is. And, you know, one of the thoughts that I've been really wrestling with a lot lately, it just seems fascinating to me, is that we spend how much time becoming experts in something, mm-hmm. right? And then as a coach, we were asked to take all that expertise, allow it to inform our curiosity, but let it go. I mean, you were using the words letting it go, letting go of the agenda, letting go of the outcome. I, you know, and and we know even in sports coaching, the swim coach isn't gonna swim for you. That's right. Right? They're they're not gonna get in the water and do the swimming. You're gonna do the swimming. And yet, as that's a such a such a developmental stage or evolutionary stage in the life of a coach is to learn this letting go piece that you're talking about in order to be with people. What do you think allows, like, what do you think allows people to show up more fully with their clients? And I think these are probably tied together somewhat. I think they are. I think they are tied together. You know, one of the things when we're welcoming somebody new into the coach training experience that we spend a great deal of time exploring before we say, yes, come on in, this is the right program for you, is what what are you imagining your contribution is that it will enliven you because you watch and witness and experience the people you want to serve doing something different in their lives. What, like, where from within you does that arise? What is the, what are the qualities or traits of the experience you might be having in the livelihood as a professional coach? And the degree to which they can articulate that is the degree to which they'll be successful in the coach training process because it is such a radical identity shift. And many people on top of it have gotten a misconception about what is coaching, thinking, well, I'm an experienced business person, therefore I should be able to coach. Well, you're likely able to mentor and you're probably able to do some training that you won't be coaching because you're too tempted to be the expert like Uh opening somebody's head and pouring it into their head. That doesn't work. That's why training alone only has about a 25% ROI training and coaching well into the eighties because it's shifting the mindset and it's transferring the ownership. Okay. Person, (laughs) here's the skills you've practiced them. You have all the cognitive understanding and now go make it happen. But wait, I don't know if that's going to work and I don't know if it fits with my style and I don't know if I'm going to be successful. I'm like the, all the, the barriers come up. They're usually invisible, not spoken out loud. And without a coach, it doesn't happen. So we don't get the return that we're expecting from skill building. And those people who call themselves coaches doing that more expert oriented conversation are dissatisfied because the people that they're working with don't do what they say. <laughs> They move on to something else. Yeah. I've watched this over three decades now. I've watched this happen and people churn through the through the field. So I think what's necessary is that people get clearer that 
what I want for people is that they are living into their wholeness. Whatever word they want to use, that would be mine. Mine actually would be sovereignty, where they're really stepping into self-responsibility for the relationship they have with their lives, personally or professionally. It doesn't matter. When we've liberated people to operate from that place, we get liberated too. It's like, oh, this isn't somebody to fix or to um, transform because I've transformed. No, this really is the gift of providing someone access back to the whole of who they are. And when they can catch that, then learning coaching becomes very easy. Up until that point, they rail against it. But wait, I know what the right answer is. I could hear what the client said to me. Mm-hmm. and be your right answer. That doesn't mean it's the client's right answer because we come from different backgrounds. You know, and that is, you know, I was, I was reading um, some books on neuroscience and just the, just the uniqueness of each of us based on our experiences, our past, our beliefs, the culture we grew up in, the gender, you know, all of these different facets of who we are and how, what works for one person there's it it might elements of it might work for another person but then I always think too like how many of us really want somebody just tell us just tell us what to do just tell me what to do about major life choices that I have to make in my life could you just tell me what to do and I'm always fascinated by the idea that that's going to work for anybody Okay, so I have I have a hypothesis on this. We ask a dozen people to give us their point of view and to give us their advice because we're not ready to make the decision, but we're sick of people telling us we should make the decision. So we turn the tables <laughs> and we ask a whole bunch of people to give us a whole bunch of information, which we ignore while we're processing internally trying to figure out what it is we really want to do. And we can hear all of those and go, okay, it's not. Right. Not that one. Not that one. Not that one. Meanwhile, all those people giving us their sage advice are like, you never do anything I tell you. Um, (laughs) Yeah. You know, I mean, for me, I know for myself that 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 letting go process, though, of the attachment to the outcome and that's that piece about thinking I knew what needed to happen was it was just really it was a challenge but it was also critical in order for the my client the person that I was working with my friend my husband whoever um to to be able to have their own answers that they could embody, that they could feel were right for them. And and it kind of goes into a little bit of the review of your book, which was around this multiple intelligences. How do the multiple intelligences show up, do you feel, in these coaching conversations that we're having? So... You might remember, because you and I are of the same generation I'm, I'm perceiving, uh, I think that's right, um, that in, in sort of the high school, early college time, we learned that um, ideas create emotions, which creates action in the body. And I, for the longest time, was sure that was true. Of course, I am kind of predisposed. I tend to be in the Enneagram. I'm a six on the Enneagram. So I'm, I'm mental. I have a I think I think in ideas and mental models. And 
at one of my plateau times when I was feeling really bored with my work, I thought to myself, okay, what part of the human existence am I stepping over? What am I not paying attention to? And um, it, we were teaching um, the somatic work in the program, and we had a few exercises, but not a whole lot. And I thought, you know, maybe that's the place where I've got this all wired backwards. And I said, let me practice in my own session of slowing down the pace, leaving more silence, and let me see if I can pay attention to what my body is telling me the client has just said based on how it lands on me. In other words, like an ocean wave, let it just wash over me and wait and see what my body then causes to happen in the emotional field. So sometimes sensory, but sensory always had associated with it some emotional quality that I could name. And then let that create something in my brain to say. Now, (laughs) warning label. I did pick particular clients to do this with <laughs> who were very used to me being, you know, much quicker paced and mental in my construct and, you know, and I worked with heart and body, but, but it was, they were clearly secondary and tertiary. So I was flipping the paradigm. Well, this amazing thing happened. I fell in love with my work again. And I all of a sudden had this sense of wonder about, wow, what if the body actually is doing this all the time? And this is what illness is about, that the body gets really exhausted and says, oh, they're just not paying attention. <laughs> and if we could help the person have some consciousness to become more alert to how their body is experiencing it, might it give them a way to regulate their emotions, which would give them more serotonin in their brain, which means they'd have more creativity. Hmm. That was an interesting hypothesis to work with. And I've done this now with individuals and with teams both. And I've decided that theory I learned way back when. (laughs) Mm -mm. Body evokes emotion, creates thought that we actually express out loud in some form or shape. And so that was about, I don't know, 15 years ago. And I have never looked back. That is the way that I think about the power of coaching. Yeah. Well, even in that also, that sense of, how many people do we know completely disconnected from their, their somatic experiencing, you know, and, and if you ask people to slow down, like, what are you noticing in your body? It may take them a minute to even know how to even frame that up. Yeah. Um, yeah, really interesting. So I'm hearing a lot of passion as you talk about this and I'm just wondering how else do you keep the, you know, the bucket at that place so that you still have space in it to fill and you're enjoying your work and you're enjoying your life. How do you navigate that? Well, I think first of all, by recognizing there will always be plateaus and that without a plateau, there isn't any room to think about what to add (laughs) or what to transform or evolve in some way. So I think in many ways it was coming to acceptance that life is always going to run in cycles and some of them are going to be ecstatic and blissful and some of them are going to be a grind. (laughs) It's just the nature of it. And the grind comes because I'm attached to the blissful experience. Only some part of me is wise enough to realize that the circumstances have changed. The environment has changed. The people, the company I keep has changed. So how I was creating bliss before isn't possible in this new environment in the same way. 
So I have responsibility to notice when my environment has um, transformed in front of me and make some different choices. And with age, I have become more patient <laughs> to sit in the murky water long enough to get still. And uh, this is the shift that's necessary now. Mm-hmm. And my timing isn't always that great, but ultimately life always does ultimately work out. So I, it, you know, I used the word wonder before, and, and I think this is just a huge piece for me. If I'm feeling bored, tired, um, anxious, a little frayed around the edges, I have spent way too much time sitting on my butt in front of this camera. And I go outside. I go pull weeds in the garden. It's one of my greatest uh, therapies. Um, I take a long hike up on the bluff and sit there for hour or two hours and just watch the eagles and look at the water. And, you know, I'm blessed to live in a rural area, so I, I have an advantage there. But I can do the same thing standing up looking at uh, an image on YouTube or a, mo- or a beautiful movie. I, I, you know, I love the the Attenborough movies and the oceans and all of that is a way in which I can get right back into my body again. Mm -hmm. Um, Sports, physical exercise, meditation. I mean, all the things that are familiar to people, particularly after the pandemic, when they've had a lot of time on their hands to do some things for, for uh, addressing trauma and reducing stress. And uh, those are practices to do every day. So even if it's only five minutes, it makes such a big difference when you're faced with something really challenging, including, you know, having those plateau moments when it's like, that's really what I want to keep doing. And ultimately, it's my clients that keep me in the saddle. I uh, I just started working with somebody in Japan. It's probably been 10 years since I worked with a leader in Japan in a coaching assignment as opposed to a, I've done trainings there, but, but a one-on-one with an exec. And I realized that... Um, I am such a different person than I was 10 years ago. And the the depth of opening and patience and delight I have to watch the world through this person's eyes. Those are the things that I connect to that keep me enlivened. Yeah. Yeah, and you know as you're even as you're talking about it it it's a reminder too that in in any career there's an ebb and flow and how you honor that ebb and flow is how it's going to, how you're going to be able to navigate it. Right. Right. Exactly. I think, and I think a lot of times we do, we have these fantasies, like I love what I'm doing. And to your point earlier, I'm going to hold on to it forever. Right. Like this, this feels good. I never want to let it go. And in the holding on to it, it's a bit of, you know, let go or be dragged. Um, And so, (laughs) Yeah, well said. (laughs) So I love that. What do you think if you were, you know, and I know you do talk to a lot of new and emerging coaches, what do you think is something that is really important for them to hear from a, from a coach who's been practicing for a while? Well, I have two things, maybe a third uh, on my mind about this. I think that Today is very different from when I started in the field. Um, coaching is ha- has much higher awareness. There, there are still definitely pockets of our 8 billion people that are not aware of what coaching is. But in more um, uh, developed commerce uh, environments, 
coaching is recognized as a very important and valuable way for people to be their best selves, to cause greatness in themselves and cause greatness in others. And that's about improving human relating. That's not about whether you worked in that industry or whether you have acumen in a particular um, function, you know, marketing or operations or sales, whatever it might be. It's about being a better human. And young coaches don't believe that, right? They think, well, I couldn't possibly, I couldn't possibly do business coaching, so I'll do personal life coaching. Well, great, do personal life coaching. However, what you first and foremost want to do is be disciplined to be a good student of your work. Be a professional coach who supports women leaders who are seeking to redefine what leadership looks like in organizations. In other words, find what enlivens. Find who the people are that have you be um, feeling worthy and valuable and contributory in your daily experience and speak to those people by saying, I'm a professional coach who... The second piece that I think is important is that we have we have awareness in our zero geography world, highly technology enabled, seven by twenty-four in every language that can be translated instantly. There are no barriers to connection, except in here. Yeah, and we have big social uh, subjects to be working on. For a long time, coaching was said, coaches thought, well, I can't go there unless the client brings it up. I don't agree. I think if we're coaching the whole person, we want to invite them to be aware of their whole person. Mm -hmm. How do they understand their relationship to the planet? What do they think about climate? How is racial injustice impacting them? What are the values around money and making money and stuff in things and what about the elements of prosperity that are about enduring happiness and well-being of right? you and your fellow brethren these are all um, in my mind important big subjects to bring into the coaching process because they are influencing even if we don't if we ignore them and don't bring them in. They are influencing us and our clients. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we're basically not trustworthy all the way. If we want to be fully trustworthy and create a safe environment, it must be okay to bring everything in. And that comes from us as an invitation. Yeah. So those would be nice. the things. And also the recognition that 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 work then is that inside job, right? That you talk about the inside job of the coach of us each individually so that we are able to be bold enough and and ask, bring those questions in into that relationship. Yeah, really interesting. What are you up to lately? What would you like to share with the audience that you are up to? Well, I've been having so much fun uh, weekly broadcasting about the book. We're, we're working through a chapter a month, which has just been a treat with um, Sarah Graves, our CMO. And I've started working on the second book. And I'm, I'm, I think there's a big change coming. I can't put my finger on it. It just feels like everybody is going back to work and realizing this is just not the same. 
and and they're struggling a little bit. As I talk to clients around the world, both individuals and teams, they're struggling to find their way. Like, what is it that's so different now? And I think it's us. I think it's us as a society. We had enough time to slow down and ask some really big questions. What matters enough for me to give my time to it? And what is it that makes it reciprocal in a way that I that I keep wanting to give my time to it? And what are the consequences when I do that to my family and to my partner and to my community? And I think we made speed and effort um, more important than relationship. And I think those scales are balancing. And as they do, it's changing the landscape in ways we're not well articulating yet. Yeah. And, you know, whether you're doing social listening on the web or you are, um, you know, talking to people when you are hosting a workshop or um, giving a talk to, at a conference and the Q&A comes up, it always is coming back to this question. How do you decide to make the change? So I feel very strongly that invite change maybe has arrived. It's like the time has come when people are ready for uh, to know how. And as opposed to feeling the fear of making change in their lives, to know how and to know how to do it on their terms. And that's a space I, I really enjoy giving my voice to. And most importantly, to the things that are creating inequity in our, in our social fabric. Um, that's just not okay with me. No. Yeah. Well, and I think that's such a, I think that's such a quality that you have that I admire so much also is your willingness to boldly share your perspective, you know, and to hold yourself accountable to it. So thank you so much for being on the coaching studio today and and sharing your perspective. And I just, I really appreciate the conversation today. Thank you. Your your questions gave us a way to be in a very expansive space, and what 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 a joy! Thank you for bringing this to the world, and I'm delighted to have been here with you. Thank you so much. you enjoyed this coaching conversation. If you did, please hit that subscribe button and get the coaching studio delivered straight to you each time there's a new show. Please share with people you think might enjoy meeting real coaches and experts making an impact in the world. Get to know them, their journey, and discover what wisdom they would offer you about being a better coach. Music was Frolic by Harrison Amir. Production by yours truly, Lisa DeHart. See you on another episode.